Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. There is such a long history of media kind of positioning Appalachia as this place that you would call like other from the rest of America. Like it's in America, but it's not of America. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in Eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachian meets world. We're back another week. It's Will and Neil. What's up? Are you encountering the heat wave? Heat wave. Had some thunderstorms lately. Last couple nights here. Some bad rain in Kentucky. Uh, some people getting some pretty bad storms too. So uh, shout out to those folks out in Mayfield and Paducah getting some flooding. Did, did you binge watch quarterback? You know I did. I've already finished it, bro. <laughs> Have you? I watched yeah. the first episode, so I, I will agree with you. It was a good recommendation by you. Uh, what What did you think about the rest of it? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's probably going to make everybody that watches it look at uh, the guys and their and and their spouses a little different. You know, did it make me more of a Patrick Mahomes fan? Absolutely not. You know, he, he does some stuff that I'd rather him not do sometimes, but I know it goes on. And, you know, did it make me more of a Kirk Cousins fan? No, not really. Marcus Mariotta, you know, a bigger fan of him. It kind of made me feel bad for him, honestly. I mean, just the, the what he went through last season. So I got a lot from it, just seeing what seeing the daily grind that those guys go through. Whether you like them or not, you got to appreciate the hard work that they put in because, I mean, this is all access. It shows you everything they do. And honestly, listening to Patrick Mahomes talk and his frog voice is about the most annoying thing you can do in a given day. But to watch him work and the way he goes at being a quarterback in the NFL, I mean, it's really pretty remarkable. I mean, I got but respect for those guys. Like I said, I've only watched half of the first episode, but you see they're winning and you see their dominance, but you don't see the behind the scenes work of what they actually put into making themselves great. So I think that's cool. The pain is a little different, I think, of being a quarterback versus the pains, the aches and pains that you go through in maybe running a business or being in charge at a business. The pains and the struggles are different, but they're still there in in uh, being an NFL quarterback, just like they are in the everyday world. You just don't have to have a your your own personal masseuse and chiropractor come over once a week. <laughs> uh, speaking of work, I also give a shout out. We're on the Mac McClung watch, so the oh, G League G League just finished, and I, I saw I read an article. He's ta- his agents talking to a couple teams. 
Got to get picked up again for this year. So we'll be on the Mac McClung watch until next season. I mean, how do you just not pick the guy up and throw him lobs? You know, just I run know, down right? the court, go get it, dunk it. I wanted uh, to also ask you, you mentioned the businesses. What do you think about the actors and the writers strike? Well, you know, it's happened before. And uh, as you know, I, I don't keep up with Hollywood. I know they're on strike. I'm tell you, I tell you what I'm more concerned with. Those people can strike all they want, and I hope they can work things out. Don't get me wrong. But I'm more concerned with the rumors that I hear about UPS going on strike. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to shift away from the writers <laughs> and actors because UPS is definitely more important. Major implications with that strike. You know, here's something you don't think about. UPS, is they ship all kinds of things. They ship things to places that end up in the hands of doctors that or pharmacies that they're prescribing medicine that keeps people alive. UPS strike is, you know, that's that's a major, major deal. And I don't know enough about it, honestly. I haven't researched it enough to, to know the ins and the outs. But whatever it is, it needs to get fixed. Yeah, I mean, the Teamster Union is about to halt work. I mean, they're on the verge of just halting work, and it will bring a major disruption to our, not not only UPS, but all, all mail carriers. It, it's crazy. You see these unions and the actors, writers, UPS, and then you see the coal strikes down in Alabama. They were on strike for two years, and you never even heard about it. Yeah. In the, in the coal mines, they go they go find temps, right? Are there enough temps out there to service the the all the brown vans that are pulling out in the morning? <laughs> if there's not, like you know, we're we're calling Johnny to come out of retirement and get back to get back to the grind, baby. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing. I got an issue, man. I'm oh. a I'm a big Miranda Lambert fan. Oh yeah, I know where you're going here. I don't know if you remember this show, but it was it was pre-American Idol. I think it was called Nashville Star. That's where Miranda Lambert got her start. Not too many people know that, but she was contesting on that. I watched it. It was a long time ago. I'm a big Miranda Lambert fan, but I'm not so much a fan of what she did the other night. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it briefly. I mean, I didn't watch the video of it, but uh, definitely a bad look. Like woman was taking a selfie at her concert and she she just like stopped singing stopped and, singing and basically scolded her and said told her to quit and sit down because she's singing country music i don't mind her wanting obviously if it annoyed her because she wants people to listen to her but they paid their you know they paid for their tickets if yeah. i if i want to a concert i can do anything i want to yep Short of throwing the phone on stage. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Miranda had a bad day that day. I mean, I'm going to chalk it up to a bad day, but it's definitely a bad look. I didn't like to see that out of her because like you, I've been a big fan as well. Yeah, we'll chalk it up to a bad day. Yeah, You've had a a bad day before and like yelled at your kids, right, for something that you probably shouldn't have yelled at them for? That's like every day. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we'll, we'll let Miranda go one, one time, one fan. One time. Right. All right. Speaking of bad days. Speaking of bad days. What, <laughs> if you got in trouble with your work and you could run away and go anywhere, hmm. would you 
run into North Korea. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, man, I think I would just like, what kind of trouble did I get in at work? Like, am I going to prison trouble or am I going to be crucified? I think either one of those options, I'm still, I'm still staying on the job. Of all, of all the places that I could run, well, they, that I could run into, I, I, I would probably run into hell before I would run into North Korea. Yeah, for real. Gosh, can you imagine? I, I can't imagine. Chalk it up to a bad day. Bad day. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> bad day. We might just have, have a bad day segment every week. Yeah, instead of bad beats, we're having bad days. Just chalk it up. He had a bad day. We'll give him that, right? Yeah, yeah, for real. He's going to have a whole whole lot more bad days because yeah. of it. <laughs> so he put that bad day on repeat real quick. <laughs> we've, uh, we've been all over the map, but surely you got some app news for me tonight. Yeah, I got a little bit of app news, a couple articles, and then I want to talk about the ARC. Chef William Dyson, he is Appalachian born, born in West Virginia. Now he has restaurants in North Carolina, the Marketplace, Haymaker, and Billy D's Fried Chicken. He is a pioneer, known to be a pioneer of the farm to table movement in the region. Full article on him. We'll post it in the show notes, but it talks about him blending his Appalachian cooking traditions of the South with his wife's Indian traditions. And he has in this article a few recipes. And one of those recipes focuses on okra. In the summertime, I don't think there's much better things to eat than some good okra. Small article we'll post in the show notes. It gives a cool little Indian blend, Appalachian blend of an okra recipe that I think people might want to check out. Sounds great. I may have to try it myself. Now I mentioned the ARC. We, we talked about last week, the Appalachia Rises Conference. Well, they just opened registration and they just announced the keynote speaker. Again, it'll be September 11th and 12th. And you know who the keynote speaker will be? I do not. Coach John Calipari. Okay. He's probably going to talk a lot about Reed Shepard. being in that venue in ashland kentucky you're probably right well good good glad cows gonna make that trip yeah there's a little video online if you want to check it out uh we'll post in the show notes about the registration where you can register but i also want to mention that to kick off the registration the announcement of the registration they were in ashland the two co-chairs the federal co-chair governor andy Bashir, and they gave away some grants ARC did 4.4 million to Skyview Housing Utilities Project in Perry County it was to build utilities in a bunch of new houses this was all for flood recovery also almost 997,000 to Letcher County Marlowe Road Project the water and wastewater project for 10 new homes those two grants all for flood recovery. I thought it was po- cool to kick it off and, and talk about those grants at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Who's the guy at the ARC these days? Federal co-chair, Governor Andy Bashir. Hmm, election year, Will. <laughs> yeah. You get money. You get money. You get money. <laughs> I see you, Andy. I feel you. Thank you. <laughs> Last little piece. There was this 
blog showed up in the daily yonder but they reposted an article from the rural blog from the institute of rural journalism and community issues but it was about cherry road media the ceo jeremy Golvin. we've been talking about media this is all about sustainability of rural newspapers jeremy Golvin, the ceo he has bought 50 small papers from Gannett Properties, trying to make them viable in smaller communities. He's trying to revive these, what have become ghost newspapers, which is newspapers that no longer have enough staff to actually keep them relevant. But he's trying to revive them by returning the editorial control to the local people. So he's basically saying the success or failure is on the local community. Obviously, we know how much local journalism, how important it is. We've been talking about it the last several weeks, but we'll post this article. It has a couple examples of how they revive these small local newspapers and how important they are to the community. So we'll post that. And I wanted to mention that because of the guests that we're having on tonight. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Elon Justice, the Retelling Appalachia Project, which we're going to get into with her. Yeah, uh, Elon is from Pikeville, Kentucky, one of my favorite places, and uh, I'm excited to ask her some stuff about Pikeville as well and uh, dive into her works and catch up with what she's doing on the daily right now. Yep, getting voices from the often unheard. You want to just get into it? Absolutely, let's do it. Today we have a special guest, Miss Elan Justice. She's a filmmaker, a writer, and a storyteller. Teller. Currently, she is a producer at Kentucky Education Television, or KET, where she works to produce stories on KET's Kentucky Life program. A proud Appalachian, born and raised, she attended Western Kentucky University for film and TV, as well as MIT, where she received a master's in comparative media studies. She is also the founder and creator of the Appalachian Retelling Project, which is what we really want to get into today. So, Elon, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. Like most Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition. Neil and I, our family, we're big on tradition as well. And one of those traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We'll have this gigantic spread of food for appetizers, bigger than the meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? I'd say I don't have a favorite appetizer. We don't do that so much in my family, but I love sweet potato casserole at Thanksgiving. I look forward to it every year. So that would be my pick marshmallows on top my family does like the roasted walnuts or pecans or something oh yeah will would not be a fan of the of the pecans on top but i am (laughs) good choice though good choice i do like uh sweet potatoes now that we have that question out of the way (laughs) i want i think i would be remiss not to mention i had no idea when we invited you on the show that your dad is actually rusty justice who is the founder of bitsource yeah Um, so we know all about bitsource and have spoken about bitsource several times on our show we've never had anyone on from bitsource but 
Uh, I just wanted to mention that. Um, I know some of our listeners would know what BitSource was, but I mentioned that because you grew up in Pikeville. Uh, you have a steep heritage there, as I mentioned with your dad. But after graduating high school, you left the region and, and currently live in Louisville for work. But what caused you to leave the region? Was it for work? And is it somewhere that you would like to return to someday? I'd say that answer is complicated in some ways and not in others. So yeah, to bring it back to my dad really quick, I would just say that he has been such an influence in my life growing up. And, you know, when I was growing up, he made it such a point that I would learn about my heritage and about the region and about my family. He would take me out just about every Saturday in his truck. And like, he would just take me to a different spot somewhere in the region and like teach me the history of that place. And if we had family there, he would tell me who lived there and all their descendants. And so I grew up with such a knowledge of our place. And, you know, he really wanted me to be proud of that. But at the same time, and this is something that I talk about a lot in my own work is how in some ways I also didn't like, while I was taught to be proud, there were things kind of externally that was making me feel like I should not that I shouldn't be proud, but that being Appalachian was almost something I had to like overcome that like I had this accent and like people were going to think I was stupid because of the way that I sounded. And I had always, you know, done well in school and I had big dreams and I didn't want to feel like I had to be held back because of where I was from. And so to answer your question, part of the reason that I left was that I wanted to kind of prove to myself and to other people that like, there was no reason that I should be held back by anything. And so I spent a lot of college kind of coming to terms with the fact that I, there was no reason that I needed to be ashamed of where I was from. And that, you know, just because if I sounded different or I had kind of a different background than my classmates, like that didn't make me less than anybody else. And so I spent a lot of college kind of coming to terms with that. So that was part of the reason that I left. Another part was that I had this interest in TV and film and just kind of the best program in the state um, was Western Kentucky University. It was important to me to kind of get that education. So that's another reason that I chose it. But then after that, uh, it's been more, you know, just kind of work opportunities. There haven't been a lot in the region. So I do now live in Louisville where I work for KET, which I really love this job. And I love that I get to travel around the state, meeting a lot of cool people, um, doing really interesting things. So I'm happy to be here for now. I do think eventually, especially, I think it's important to continue the work that I have started with the Appalachian Retelling Project. I think it probably makes the most sense to, to return someday. So that's kind of, that's definitely a hope. Definitely makes sense. And we will get into the retelling project. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about media in general, um, especially in the Appalachian region. You know, we mentioned we mentioned prior that we're doing kind of a short series. We've had a couple of guests to talk about media in Appalachia and how it can how media in general can really define a narrative for an entire region. You, you know, the hillbilly moniker, negative stereotypes. You and Neil and I have heard that our whole life. The people from the region have heard that their most of their lives. How big of a role do you think media has played histor- from a historical perspective in this negative stereotype? I would say it's played a huge role. I mean, I think for me in my own life, the ways that I kind of was realizing that people outside the region felt differently about it than I had grown up to feel about it was through media. You know, I can remember being like, 
nine years old and I was watching like the fairly odd parents which was a show that I really loved as a kid and I remember there was this joke about being illiterate and it was like what are you from Kentucky and I was like what does that mean and then you know things like um Hidden America Children of the Mountains came out when I was in like middle school and that was just you know about some kids from Appalachia who were all you know in these horrific situations and just kind of blaming the culture of Appalachia for their problems and that, you know, it was a place that people needed to escape from. So yeah, I mean, I think in my own life, I've seen it in those ways, but there is such a long history of media kind of positioning Appalachia as this place that you would call like other from the rest of America. Like it's in America, but it's not of America. That's a line from Anthony Harkins that I used in my master's thesis. But just as this place that despite technically being part of America, it's just totally distinct and has kind of caused its own problems. I like how you use that term other. We've had guests that have used that term before, especially when they're talking about the history of the region. But we also had Elaine McMillian Sheldon on as one of one of our first guests who has really become a famed documentarian from the region, from West Virginia. One of the things that she mentioned when we spoke to her is that, you know, the, st- the stereotype conversation is really getting old. Not that it's not part of our region, not that it's not important, but that we have, you know, we have many more challenges and issues that are far more important than just that negative stereotype. And I also think that a lot of people have come to really embrace some of those stereotypes. You know, the hillbilly moniker, it's starting to become cool or chic to be called a hillbilly, to refer to yourself as a hillbilly. I feel like we've embraced our culture in that regard. In your work, through your media, have you seen a shift or, or is it still the same old other narrative as you mentioned? Um, I think there is like, there's this kind of desire to take back the term of the hillbilly, like you said, which I love. I think we should all be proud hillbillies. I'm not ashamed <laughs> of that word. Uh, I do think, you know, a lot of people that I work with still, I feel like still struggle with the stereotype. So I understand too, like as a media maker, like that's not the only thing that I want to focus on the stereotypes. I just want to kind of show the region as I see it and as other people see it. But I do think it's still something we have to contend with because I think these stereotypes are still being peddled by other, you know, external media organizations. But I do think there is that pushback and other people also want to be able to talk about things other than just like, are we dumb hillbillies or are we not? Like, there's so much more to talk about in the region. So your love for that term came from the famed hillbilly days. Is that? uh... Could be. I mean, that was like a national holiday in Pikeville. I mean, that's, it's a big deal. So maybe growing up with that, uh, it was never, it was never a negative term in my book. I have been to Hillbilly Days. It is quite the scene. It's a good time. I I went there this year. I took off work. (laughs) I love it. You know, recently, since we're referring to the word Hillbilly, you know, when Hillbilly Elegy came out, the book, brought a lot of attention. I think there's this cyclical or, or this cycle with Appalachia where it gets a lot of attention here and there. I think Hibbley Elegy did that. But do you think it also maybe accelerated this idea of learning more about the region? Um, do you think it brought a lot of other voices to the stage or, or maybe provided another platform as a counter narrative to that book? Do you think that book has 
help the region or maybe hurt the region from a media standpoint? So personally, I will not be shy to say that I'm not a fan of that book. People, I know people disagree and I totally respect that opinion. Personally, for me, I totally get that it's his own story and he should be able to tell it as he wishes. But I don't think it's fair to be able to say that your story is representative of an entire region. You know, in that book, he's saying that the the problems that he encountered, he saw people kind of gaming the welfare system and drug abuse and alcohol abuse and all these things. And just saying that that was the fault of Appalachian culture, that people are lazy and they don't want to work and they want to get around the system as best they can, which I just don't think is true. So in my eyes, it's not a helpful representation. I do think when you ask about like bringing other voices, I think people since that book came out have been really vocal about you know, saying, you know, that's one guy's perspective, but there are so many more that you should be paying attention to. So in that way, I do think it's been nice to see more people kind of want to talk about this place. Yeah. And that's partly why we, we started this pro- podcast was to, it had nothing to do with the book, but we just wanted to celebrate the region and let more people know about the region like we know about the region, Neil and I, uh, from from an you know Appalachians, but provide this platform for other voices throughout the region. With media and how you work in media, there's so many forms of media these days. You know, there's so many ways to get news and information. But there's also, I feel like, this importance for local news. A lot of local news outfits or or establishments are closing right and left especially in rural areas how important is local news and local journalism do you think and are do you have any ideas on how we can ensure sustainability uh, with local news like i mentioned there's so many forms of, of other places to get information or misinformation that the it, i feel like it's hurting the local news sources yeah, I mean, that's such a, it's a good question and it's a tough one. I think local news and local journalism is extremely important. You know, I think it, especially in rural places, the bigger, you know, media conglomerates aren't going to be covering what's happening in Pikeville and in Pineville. So, you know, I think local news is really the last thing we have that's going to be paying attention to what's going on in these communities and bringing up issues and giving people a platform to talk about them. Uh, as for sustainability for those, that is, I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Something I would like to see, and I think is really hard in today's kind of society is like, I would love to see more local news stations and platforms that aren't like an ABC affiliate or an NBC affiliate, affiliate but are truly local. And I just know that, you know, the those kind of organizations are expensive to upkeep. So, I mean, I don't have the answer for that, but I think that, you know, there are new options today, like podcasts, I think are a really great way and they're pretty low cost to kind of keep that local journalism spirit alive and documentaries and, you know, things like that. But I wish I did have the answer because I think it's really important. Have you seen these other, these nonprofit organizations pop up like the Center for Rural Strategies? They, they started something called Newswires, but there's also like local independents like Border Belt Independent or Barn Raiser that are supplying news uh, to rural areas that are really given a voice, but they're nonprofits. Do you see new outfits like this working? Yeah, I mean, I could see that definitely being a, a good strategy. I don't know that it should, I mean, maybe it is the only sustainable one at this time. I don't know that it needs to be the only 
you know, way that we get our right. news and our media. But I definitely, I think the Center for Rural Strategies is also who runs um, 100 Days in Appalachia. Am I right? Um, that which is like a, a news site that I actually partnered with back when I started the Appalachian Retelling Project, and I uh, wrote a few pieces for them. Um, and I think they do really incredible work. And that's based out of like WVU, I want to say. So I think that's another kind of interesting model people could look at is like partnering with universities and things like that too. But also another form is the Appalachian Retelling Project. Uh, it's really a counter narrative to the media portrayal that we've been talking about. A quote from your website is, it is challenging the narrative about Appalachia one story at a time. Can you just tell our listeners what the Appalachian Retelling Project is and maybe kind of why you started it? Absolutely. So the Appalachian Retelling Project is a web-based documentary project. So it's, at, you know, at a URL, it's the AppalachianRetellingProject.com. It's a website and it features lots of different written pieces, videos, there's a few like photo essays, audio clips. The goal of it is really just to not only to combat stereotypes like we've been talking about, about Appalachia, but also just to show how many diverse perspectives there are in the region. You know, we're not just, we're not a monolith. There are so many people with so many different outlooks on the region. And I think it's important for people to understand that. It began in 2020. Um, I was in my second year of grad school at MIT. Technically, since it was during COVID, I was actually living back in Pikeville once everything shut down. I was living in, in Cambridge, and then when everything shut down, moved home for my with my parents for a few months. So it was part of my master's thesis work, which was focusing on a methodology in documentary making called co-creation. And so co-creation is kind of this idea that's an alternative to single author vision in filmmaking. So in single author vision, it's like, I'm the director. And this is my vision for this film. And I'm going to seek out the people to interview and I'm going to cut it together. And it's all going to make sense kind of in this way that I have already planned out. And I'm not really going to take too many other perspectives into account because I know what I want, which is, I think, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like, I think there are absolutely films where that makes sense. But co-creation is an alternative to that, where it's saying like, instead of me making this film about you, I want to work with you to tell your story. And your perspective is just as central to the making of this as mine. We are both equally important. So that's how this idea kind of came about. I wanted to be more of a facilitator of a lot of different perspectives rather than just making something that was based on my perspective. And with um, it being COVID, you know, I had to kind of get creative in how that was going to happen because I couldn't really be around people. So I decided to uh, make a website and just have kind of a submissions form where people could write things or make videos or kind of whatever media they wanted to make. And it could be about really any topic that they thought was worth sharing about. My prompt was like, as long as you're sharing a story about Appalachia that you feel like you wouldn't see in mainstream media, you're on the right track. So I've got all kinds of different stories there. I mean, it's like family histories and people talking about their experience with like accents and dialect and you know, I've got people talking about quilting and there's just all kinds of different, different things that people want to share about on the website. Um, so that's, that's how it got started. And that's what it is. It's been, I was really blown away by the response when it first began. Um, it's been now, I guess, three years since it started and I've been trying to slowly grow it. You know, it's a side 
project. So I, I have my full-time job on top of that. So I work on it when I can. Um, but I've really just been so appreciative of the support that I, I've gotten throughout the region on it. Speaking of that, one of the re- reasons we kind of started the podcast as well was to not only allow a voice for Appalachians, but to we, we call it Appalachian Meets World so we can get outside the region. We found by doing this podcast that other underrepresented regions apart from Appalachia, we have many more similarities than we do differences. Have you seen that same perspective in the Appalachian Retelling Project? And with the project, anyone can submit a a story, but how do you get those stories outside the region? I feel like they are are more informational for people that aren't from here, if if you know what I'm saying. Like, is that part of the process or part of your platform? Yeah, um, so good question. I would say in my work, um, there hasn't been as many people, you know, anyone, like you said, can submit a story. They don't have to be from Appalachia. Um, it has, I haven't gotten so many from people who are not from the region. I have gotten a few. A really great one is from, he was actually a college friend of my dad. His name was Masood. Originally from the Middle East, I'm going to forget what actual country, so I'm just going to say the Middle East, but he <laughs> moved to Kentucky in college and then didn't really have a place to live. And so he moved in with this elderly lady who just took him in like a son and took such great care of him. And he truly loved her like a mother. And so he wrote about her and that he was experiencing like racism from a neighbor and how she defended him and just, you know, what a role model she was in in his life. So I think perspectives like that have been really interesting. And I've been trying to do more to try to feature perspectives of people who um, have moved to the region or have you know extensive experience in the region, even if they aren't necessarily from here. And I agree, I think we absolutely all have more in common than we do different. And I think that's something that I hope to kind of uncover with this project. But as far as getting it um, to an audience outside the region, I would say that has been a challenge. Uh, when I started it in school, it was a little bit easier because I very easily had that kind of resource. I was very connected, you know, to an outside audience with MIT. So, you know, that was up just up front was kind of nice to get exposure to, especially a group of like academics, I think is really cool to get that exposure. And, you know, they still, most of them still follow it today. Um, but since then, uh, it has been, it's been harder. But I think that my primary goal with the project was just for Appalachian people to be able to share and to, you know, it's a, it is a counter narrative. And I think we are told so much by mainstream media, like this is who you are. And it, it becomes hard not to believe it sometimes. So just having that outlet to say like, no, that's not who we are. This is who we are. And this is what I want to share. I think that is really important. So I'm happy just to achieve that goal. But I do think that people from outside the region can learn by reading these stories, by watching these videos, um, that it's not all the way that, you know, media, mainstream media kind of makes it out to be. But actually getting to that audience is definitely something that I'm still working on. I know a lot of your work, a lot of your studies have been in documentary filmmaking. Do you have any aspirations to produce a full-length documentary in, in, in the future? I do. Uh, I can't give too many details right now. Working on <laughs> no, you, can't, you can't announce it on Appalachian Meets World. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think I'd, I might get fired, but uh, I am working on one now with KUT. Um, it's not Appalachia. I mean, it's, it does touch on Appalachia. It's not Appalachia focused, 
and it's been such a great experience just to learn. I'm working with a co-producer and just the, I've learned so much about how to make a film from doing this. So I'm really excited to, once that is done, to kind of apply that to my own project and my own interests. I would love a, a topic that I'm really actually interested in is like migration in and out of the region, because I think Appalachia is so influenced not only by people who have come here and the different groups that have come to the region, but by those who then had to leave for various reasons. And so that is a topic that I'd really be interested in exploring more. So that's that's a goal for one day. Can you can you tell our audience real quick just what you do for KT? What what's your what's your full-time job with them? And then my second question to follow that up is do you have a favorite project that you've worked on throughout your your time so far? Yeah. So for KET, I am a producer primarily for the show Kentucky Life. Um, that shows what we call a magazine show. So it's not really hard news or anything like that, but it's just, we feature interesting people, places, and events throughout the state. So every season I get about 10 segments that are five to seven minutes long, each on a different, you know, activity or person or whatever throughout the state. So then I, I pitch stories, I uh, conduct the interviews. I then, I, I have a camera crew that I direct, you know, when we go out on shoots and then I edit the pieces together for the to go on to the show. Um, I also work on other projects like the documentary that I'm working on, where it's kind of, you know, similar roles. As far as a favorite project, probably my favorite right now would be earlier this year, I had a piece come out that aired on Kentucky Life. And then I made like an extended longer cut just for um, the web, like on YouTube, about uh, the flooding that happened in eastern Kentucky last year just focusing on the relief efforts that went on um, throughout the communities. I got to talk to the mayor of Wayland, which was one, a really hard hit community that it was really amazing how quickly they were able to recover just to be so small, just to see so many people come together to, to help their community. I talked to a lady who ran the community center in Hemphill, which is just a, a really tiny community. Um, and they like didn't have water for weeks or something like that. And they, they built their own community showers and, you know, the food banks and things like that. And just being able to talk to people who were so committed to their communities and seeing how people took care of each other during all that was really beautiful. And I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we did telling that story. I, I think a lot of what comes across in, in the retailing Appalachian retailing project is that sense of community that Appalachia has. You can see it throughout all the stories. For me, anyway, that's kind of what sets Appalachia apart, that that community that, you know, we'll do anything for our neighbor, especially in times of struggle or in times of need, like, like the flood. So I really appreciate that about the project. Just from your own personal perspective, I, I went to WKU like you, so I'm a fellow alum, a fellow Hilltopper, and I mentioned this earlier, but when, when I spoke at Western, people heard my accent. They, you would have thought that I was from a different planet, but I was really just from the opposite side of the state. Uh, and you having gone to MIT, was that your experience as well with your accent? And was that part of your wanting to do the Appalachia Retailing, retailing Project, especially part of your thesis at MIT? Yeah, I mean, I think that was... I, I thought, you know, I had the same experience as you at Western, where even though it was just, it was the same state, just the opposite end of the state, it was like I was from a different planet. My accent was definitely thicker back then, and people would just ask me to say certain words. Anytime I would say I was from Pikeville, they'd be like, oh, you're from Pikeville. 
you know, so I, I had experienced that and I thought I had gotten over it. You know, I thought I, I might, my skin had gotten thicker and I thought, you know, but then I moved to Cambridge and it really was just a, a different world. I mean, it felt like I would go to the coffee shop to like order a coffee and it was like there was molasses in my mouth. That's always how I felt. Like I talked so slow compared to everybody else. And it was like people would get impatient with me. So, and just, you know, cultural things were different. Like, not that people aren't friendly, but just not so like outwardly friendly. And so I would take that as like, nobody liked me. And so it was just, it was a lot to to deal with at the time. And I was really that first year at MIT, I was really struggling. I almost, I like, I kind of wanted to go home, but I knew that it was only a two-year program. And I was like, I can stick it out. I can do this. So I would say that was absolutely, I was feeling homesick. I was feeling, you know, kind of lost in this new community and new culture. So I would say that was uh, an influence for sure on wanting to do the Appalachian Retelling Project, because when I got to MIT, I wasn't totally sure what my thesis was going to be about. I had an idea that it might be focused on Appalachia, but I hadn't really committed to that yet. When I was there, like I, I felt so much support from my family and from people back home that, you know, feeling connected to that community, I think was definitely an influence on why I wanted to do this and why I wanted to feature all the beautiful things about our region that people don't know about. Well, it's a really awesome project. It's an excellent way for Appalachians to speak for themselves. But I don't think we've mentioned yet, and we'll put it in the show notes, but can you just mention where people can find the Appalachian Retelling Project and where they might go if they want to submit a story? Yeah, so our website is theappalachianretellingproject.com. It's a very long URL. I apologize for that. Uh, We're also on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. So you can just search the Appalachian Retelling Project. I would also mention too, Will, in case uh, she forgets to, if you just go to elandjustice.com, you can see all of her stories on there. One of my personal favorites, the mountain drive that you did with your dad, where he gave great advice for all Appalachians. A quote from your dad was don't be like somebody else be the best version of us which is what i think all appalachians should live by so just wanted to mention that too and give your dad a shout out yeah thank you elon can we ask you a few rapid fire questions just to get to know elon a little bit go for it what's your favorite place in appalachia black mountain um what's your favorite thing to do in appalachia probably like eat food eat cornbread and biscuits (laughs) oh That brings us to our next question. What do you prefer, cornbread or biscuits? Oh, gosh. It's like asking me to pick a favorite child. (laughs) Probably biscuits. Love it. Do you have a favorite post or favorite story from the Appalachian Retelling Project? Um, I love, there was a a post by a a high school classmate of mine named Krishna, who uh, was talking about kind of reconciling his immigrant and Appalachian roots. That was really, he's such a talented writer and uh, it's a really good one. Very cool. We'll check that out. Today, how do you pronounce, and you said it a few times, but we, you know, we've referred to code switching on this show before we, we've had a couple episodes on it, but how do you pronounce P-I-K-E-V-I-L-L-E? Pikeville. <laughs> All right. Still got the accent. <laughs> um, what's your favorite part of Hillbilly Days? Ooh. Um, probably getting a funnel cake and a lemonade and walking down Hambly Boulevard. (laughs) Considering obviously your work and your education, what is your favorite movie? 
non-documentary. That's a tough one. Does it have to be Appalachia related? No, 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 it doesn't. Okay, maybe like Office Space. Nice. <laughs> I, I love a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then what's your favorite documentary? Definitely Hollow by Elaine McMillian Sheldon. Yeah, that's a cool one. It's very different too. I think it was, uh, especially for when she made it. Yeah, it's incredible. I actually wrote about it in my master's thesis. So big fan. <laughs> you know, your education was in film as well as TV. Do you have a TV series recommendation for our listeners? Oh, this is maybe a, a random one, but I really love Welcome to Wrexham, which is a documentary series uh, about a soccer team bought by Ryan Reynolds and Ma Rob McElhaney but they're based in Wales and the town reminds me so much of Eastern Kentucky. I really, it's such a good, worth watch. Yeah, so we like to ask all of our guests this question. What's the first thing you think about or the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word Appalachia? Uh, community. I think, you know, it's such a supportive community. It's like, you don't have to know somebody to, to feel like they're your family. I think that's my favorite thing about it. We also ground our podcast. This is another question we ask everyone, but we ground our podcast on place and perspective. Place is really important for Neil and I. It's really important for Appalachia. It's like a character in and to itself. So we wanted to ask you just where do you call home? What makes it home for you and what makes it unique? I definitely still call Pikeville home. It's just, it's the place where I feel like I don't have to be anything but what I am, flaws and all. And everybody accepts that and everybody loves that. So that's what makes it home to me. Yeah, that's a great answer. And Elon, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for what you do, especially in regards to the Appalachian Retailing Project to allow Appalachians to speak for themselves and to get that voice out there for the underrepresented often or misrepresented, especially. So thank you for, for, for all that and for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you both. It's been great to talk with you. Well, it's great visiting with Elon. She's quite the young lady, great experience. Looking forward to lots of great stuff from her in the future. Show so happy she uh, came on the show with us. It was it was a good time. It was a good experience. A good learning experience for me as well. The retailing Appalachia project, how it originated, how she was in grad school when it originated. In the beginning, it started out as her thesis and how, how much it's grown since then. You, you know, it just goes to show how important show, the diversity of our region is and the voices that have written in this retailing project. She touches a lot of different things, man. You know, we talked about her dad and, and, and BitSource, the company he started over there in Pike County a little bit. And I just, I mentioned it when we were talking to her there, but you know, and, and one of the one of the things that she's done, one of the pieces she put together called Mountain Drive, her dad offered up that quote that I said earlier, which is I think it's the quote that I'm going to start living by. I mean, Rusty Justice is a genius. And uh, I love the fact that he's so comfortable in his own skin. And, and the, his quote that I said earlier, I'll say it again, was don't be like somebody else be the best version of us. I mean, that's such great advice for everybody. And, and I think, uh, I think I'm going to live my life that way for sure. And, and hopefully I do in some aspects already, but 
just be comfortable in your own skin and, and do the best you can. I mean, that's what we do in Appalachia. And I just thought that was great from Rusty. And what a fantastic piece, that Mountain Drive piece that Elon put together on her website. We mentioned her website. Check it out for sure. But, yeah, I just want to say that again because it's, it's a great word, words of wisdom. And, it, and it's so true, you know, build off, off your assets. Don't try to be something that you're not. Thanks to Elon, and I wanted to check with you to see if you had a uh, a business of the week for us. I do have an app biz of the week since we are talked a lot about Pikeful, talked a lot about that area of Eastern Kentucky. I wanted to mention organization over there. I actually wanted to mention a person first. It is Valerie Horn. She lives there in Whitesburg, Kentucky. She was just recently awarded the James Beard Foundation National Leadership Award for some of the work that she does building social enterprises there in Whitesburg, Kentucky. But one of those is the Community Agricultural Nutritional Enterprises Incorporated, which they call Kane, C-A-N-E, Kane Kitchen to provide new markets and increase the agricultural footprint in Letcher County and surrounding communities. During the floods, they use Kane Kitchen to provide free meals. The first time that they have done that, they actually are housed in the old high school gym in Whitesburg. The Mountain Comprehensive Health Corporation purchased the Whitesburg building and is leasing almost 10,000 square feet to Kane Kitchen, 20 years for a dollar. Um, since that flooding, since they provide that, provided that first free meal, they've provided 150,000 free meals since. And that's just something that they did just because of the flood recovery, but there's so much more that they do. Their mission as a social enterprise in an effort to establish a permanent outlet for local farm products, as well as space for farmers, entrepreneurs, and commercial usage. They have a website. It is cane-kitchen.com. You can get on there. They also sell local products that are produced out of their Cane's Kitchen, the Mountain Legend brand. Um, You can check those out. I just wanted to mention this thing that Valerie Horn does. She also runs the pharmacy, also the farmer's market. She has increased revenue at the farmer's market there in Whitesburg from 7000 to 100000 So she's doing big things there in Whitesburg. And I just want to give a shout out to Kane's Kitchen over there. Check them out, kane-kitchen.com. Awesome, Will. Glad you mentioned that. Sounds like a great organization. Doing good works. I want to thank it. Elon again for being on the episode for representing Appalachia for her work that she does especially with the retailing Appalachia project check out that website like Neil said earlier and post something if you feel so inclined and I guess we can end it like we usually do till next time Neil peace I'm up in the mountains again I'm getting lighter the air's getting now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains again